Hello, fellow Gritizens. Do you believe in your ability to navigate life's obstacles, but you're not always sure where to start? Well, lend us your ear, because here on our Grow My Grit podcast, we gather strength and inspiration from real people navigating real obstacles in real time with grit. My name is Peter Willis, coming in from Calgary, Alberta, together with our gritty guru, Hayes Shetmeyer, who is beaming in from Mississauga, Ontario. Here on the Grow My Grit podcast, our intention is to engage with guests and listeners who are ready to know, grow, and show their grit, perhaps best described as one's default settings in the face of obstacles, and what obstacles we've faced since the beginning of 2020. However, one of the biggest opportunities available to us all is the possibility of recreating our identities and re-engaging our relationship to both ourselves and to one another using the unique strengths we already possess and reliably bring to challenging situations. With our individual grit compass as our guide, let's explore what's available on the other side of obstacles. Are you ready? Yes! Awesome! Hi, everybody! Hi. <laughs> that was that was harmonized. That was wicked. That was beautiful. We're a team. <laughs> Kim, it's so nice to see you again. Thanks for having mm-hmm. me again. Mm-hmm. So I'll do a little bit of an introduction for our listeners. Our guest, Kim Alexander, is back for her third visit to our podcast. Her initial visit is our most streamed episode in terms of using grit to support mental health in teenagers. And Kim's been very busy since that episode. She has published a book called Creating a Safe Space in the classroom, a guide for educators. And we're super excited to have her here to talk a bit about what that looks like, what that means, and how it connects with so much of what we talk about here on the Grow My Grit podcast. Welcome back, Kim. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So we want you to kind of take the lead in a bit of a comfy author sense, because that's always fun. (laughs) Okay. Um, So thank you for having me. One of the things that I wanted to do to start was actually one of the activities that I do in my classroom to create a safe space. Um, So I'll just give a little introduction first. So what I do in the book is divide up the school year into three different sections. So the first third of the year is like the building phase. um, And then the second is the maintaining phase. And then the last part of the year is uh, preparing students to move forward. And one of the things that I do in the building phase is I do a mental health check-in every day with my classes. And so on the board, I have a list of words that are positive words, negative words, neutral words. And I always share as well. And I ask my students, we go around the room to share a word of the day. So I'll get more into this um, in terms of the rationale in a bit, but I thought that we could start by doing the activity. So I'll start so I can give you both a chance to think (laughs) of uh, your word for today. And you don't have to share why if you don't want to, um, but my word today would be excited because I have been looking forward to being on the podcast and talking about my book. Uh, It's also March break for me, which is exciting as well. So my word would be excited for today. So Hayes, do you have a word of the day? I do have a word for the day. My word for the day is refreshed. And I feel refreshed. I did yoga today. I got a lot of little things that have been running around. Kind of, you know, when you have a list and you keep writing the same thing on the next day's list and kind of putting it back on the next day's list. So I feel refreshed because a lot of those little things have all been accomplished or kind of completed. And then just again, really that sense of, I know it snowed here in Ontario, here in Toronto, there was a bit of snow and it's just a refreshing 
type of weather system for me. So I think refresh describes my environment, what it brought to me today, and then the choices I've made and the activity that I engaged with for my body. Refresh just feels right. Thank you. Peter? Awesome. I'm going to use relieved today. Mm. So I had a, I had a really big day at work, uh, some interviews and things for a position for someone to help me. Um, and a lot, actually probably 90% of the conversation was around actually kind of mental health and work-life balance and all kinds of things that were not directly related to what we do, but to how we live. And it was a fantastic kind of, we took three hours chatting. Um, so it, it was really, really good. And it was, there was a lot of buildup going into it and I haven't been feeling super hot. So it went really, really well. And it felt really nice to talk about all this kind of stuff that the way we are now. And it felt really good to be out of this kind of cocoon and talk about the same type of thing in a workplace setting. Um, and that is a relief for me. <laughs> Thank you. That's great. Thank you, everybody. Um, so I do this activity uh, as part of my daily routine in the class, and I outline this in the in the book. Um, it allows me to check in with students, um, create community in this phase of the school year, um, and also gives me a lot of information. You know, at certain times of the year, uh, students will all say that they're stressed or worried or overwhelmed, and then I can definitely kind of tailor that lesson that day, maybe take something out, check in with students. Um, you know, also students might say that they're happy, excited um, at different times of the year. And then we can celebrate and ask, you know, oh, what are you excited about? And can you share? Um, but I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So let me just backtrack a little bit. So at the beginning of my book, I have a, a quote that I love that is from Oprah. Uh, and I'll just paraphrase it. What she says is that what everybody is looking for um, when they walk into a room is that you see me, you hear me, and that what I say matters. And I remember hearing that quote the first time and really resonating it, resonating with it myself, but also thinking about that's what my students want as well. And I started to really think about how could I make my classroom a space where students feel like they're seen, they're heard, and like what they say matters, and also how that would affect their mental health. And I really do believe that if students feel safe in your classroom, they will do better in every single way. There is the academic piece, um, but also the social piece, the self-esteem piece, the mental health piece. Um, and I do find in the past years where I've been using all these techniques that students have expressed to me that they do like being in the classroom. They're willing to take risks more, maybe in, in what they do. They're willing to take social risks more. So a couple things that I do in the building phase, which would be the first part of the year, and please stop me to ask questions at, at any time. A lot of the things are very simple, but they're building blocks to community. So one of the things I do is I always say hello and goodbye to my students. And it's really nice for the students, I think, to be acknowledged when they come in. And also it's nice for me because they also then say hi to me. And I leave space at the beginning of class and at the end of class to do our hellos and goodbyes. And it's so nice at the end for me, I sometimes feel like a, a flight attendant, though, like, bye, 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 bye. Um, but it's so nice, you know, that they're each acknowledged on on the way in and the way out and that they do that. 
for me as well. So something very simple, but something that I think makes students feel like they are a part of the classroom and it's important that that they are there and I appreciate that they're there. Um, something else in the building phase that I incorporate into my classroom is thanking students. So thanking students for being on time, thanking students for coming back from lunch on time, thanking students for doing their homework. I always end the lesson of the class by saying thank you everybody you know for today's class and I've had some teachers ask me why do you thank students for what they're supposed to be doing anyway and my response to that is I guess there are certain expectations of students but they don't have to do anything really they don't have to do their homework they don't have to come on time um and I do appreciate that they do. It makes our class easier. It makes my teaching life easier. And I really want to acknowledge them and, and thank them. And then by modeling that, students will often say to me when they're leaving the classroom, thanks, miss. Thanks, miss. And that's really mm -hmm. nice, too. Um, so thanking students when they do things. I often find, too, that if a student maybe didn't do their homework or didn't come on time for class, they want to be thanked and so that kind of encourages them you know to do something so that they can they can be thanked as well I'd love to jump in for a second because yeah. what I what I hear again with grit being my focus and that idea of doing hard things an important reason to thank students might be that even if it's things they're expected to do a lot of what you describe is hard some mm -hmm. kids find it really hard to get to class on time depending on what's going on some kids find it really hard to attend to a learning system that isn't how they learn so I think for me as someone my my G and grit is gratitude so the first thing I do when things are hard is get grateful for them not being hard harder or worse. So I love that as a teacher and as a role model, you've identified that by acknowledging what's happening, if what is happening is hard for someone, then you've now reinforced that amount of work. You don't necessarily know whether something is hard, but again, everything you've described, maybe getting out of bed was the absolute biggest challenge for someone that day, maybe dealing with being back in person, maybe being in a social setting. So all those things that you've thanked people for, I appreciate as that blanket support for navigating obstacles, because we don't know what's hard, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we know that people get to feel heard and seen when there's appreciation offered. So that totally jumped out at my heart hearing mm -hmm. that piece. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And um, you're right what you said, you know, students are all at different areas and in our classrooms here in Ontario, at least the um, you know, the students with special needs are inside of our classrooms. And so also acknowledging, like you said, what what a student can actually do. Mm -hmm. And even if they didn't complete the assignment or even just made an attempt, thank you for making an attempt. Thank you for starting the assignment. Thank you yeah. for, you know, starting the reading. Um, that's also very valuable for those, for every student to feel like they're seen and heard. I think, Kim, I was just going to say, like, just before we... Um... Like, this is a great topic. So in that thanks piece, like, again, as just as I wrote it down, it was just gratitude and it's showing gratitude. It's saying that you're grateful for them in whatever capacity and that they're grateful for you. There's just a, and, and, and especially in the last two years, I think that positive message is even more important. So just even saying, you know, that just thanks is that, that recognition of, of gratefulness, which I think is, is really healthy. And the other thing I, I just thought of is like, think of how many times, like I think of when I was a kid, 
and we're sitting at the dinner table and I get my sister to pass me the milk and she passes me the milk and I don't say thank you. And then my dad would be like, are you going to say thank you? Right. So we're, we're taught to say thank you for all of these small things, but then the things that really matter, like showing up for class and helping make the class go smoothly and like doing things together in a group that is a little bit bigger than passing the milk. Nothing wrong with saying thanks for passing the milk, but saying like showing, expressing your gratitude for things that sh- kind of air quoted uh, should be done already. Well, we do that all the time. And the classroom is such a more, it's even, it's even in a more special space and more important place to be saying thank you and expressing gratitude to these kids all the time. Cause we're instilling them with how we want them to behave going forward. Right. Mm. I, and I just thought of that, how often I've said thank you for menial things, but mm. you know, saying thank you in a classroom, that means something, you know, anyway, I just wanted to yeah. throw that in there. I think that's great. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. And I was just no. taken, taken aback by the comments that, why do you say thank you to your kids? Now, granted, that could be a positive connotation. Hey, why do you say thank you? That's great. But there also could be like, why do you do that? And that's yeah. how I heard it, uh, which could be wrong, but that's how I heard it. And I just think, man, there's there's a really good reason why it's great to say thank you. I just think that's a great message. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. Peter. And and it was said, you know, with this kind of surprise instead of why are you right. thanking students for what they should be doing? Um, but I think you're exactly right that it is very important. And I think that sometimes students are surprised that they're thanked, you know, thank you for Mm -hmm. handing in your assignment. And they might think, well, of course, like that was the assignment, but I do still very much appreciate that they did. And what you and Hayes have both been saying about gratitude is something else that I do in my classroom in this building phase is that we have a gratitude board. So when we were um, online learning, we still did this in an electronic way. Um, But right now in my classroom, I have a Bristol board. I have sticky notes and markers. And the board says, today I am grateful for. And at the beginning of the year, I introduce this to the students. They don't have to write their name on the sticky. But just whenever they are grateful for something, um, they can put it up. I always start the board. And it's nice to see as the year goes by that the gratitude board just fills up with, you know, some things that are more serious, but some things that are just fun and silly. And, um, you know, people can ask other people about it. Sometimes even in class, something will happen. And then someone will say, Oh, we can be grateful for that. And then someone wants to put it on the gratitude board. So that's also a way that, you know, we can bring gratitude into the classroom setting. And then really, um, I find it really successful as well in that way. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. I'll go through one other thing that we do in the in the building phase is in terms of participation, what I've started to do that I have found very successful is the very first day of school, I tell my students, I will never call on you to read out loud unless you have your hand up. I will never call on you to answer a question unless you have your hand up. I will never ask you something out of the blue and there's always this little bit of like oh really because often I think in classrooms teachers just randomly call on students and I know for myself that causes a lot of anxiety sometimes so what I try to do instead is not to do that at all and instead what I do to foster participation is a few things one thing I do is Raising your hand is participation in my class. So if I say, um, you know, how many people think that this character is the main character of the story? 
you know, and people put up their hand. I'm like, great. Thanks, everybody. That's amazing. That's participation. So those quieter students don't have to even speak if they don't want to. Another thing that I do is before we take any work up, I come around and I will look at their answers and point something out maybe and say, oh my gosh, your answer for number two is amazing. Do you mind sharing that when we discuss? And suddenly that student is like, oh, you liked my answer? And then it's easier for them to participate. Um, when we share work on the board, it's always optional. But again, I say to them, you know, I can check your answer first if you want, or if you're feeling confident, then you can just come up and share. And I notice that first, everyone wants their answer checked. <laughs> no one will share unless I check it. But within the first month, they're not asking as much because they know now they've gained that little bit of confidence um, that their answers are okay. Um, when a student also shares an answer, I'll say, thank you for sharing. Again, thanking them and then asking the rest of the class, how many other people had an answer that was similar to that? Raise your hand. And then that student who answered is validated. And then everybody else can share as well. So I really like that with participation where telling them right away, you're never going to be called on if you don't want to be. Mm. Brings that feeling of safety. And then they're more willing to share because they know that it's safe to do so. I never like it when teachers randomly call on students and try to, I guess, catch them not knowing mm -hmm. an answer or not mm -hmm. doing their homework because I'm a big believer that shame is not a motivator. Mm -hmm. Embarrassment is not a motivator. Yeah. And if you shame that student or embarrass them because they didn't have an answer, then not only are you affecting that student and their self-esteem and their safety, but no one else in the class is also going to want to answer because then suddenly the whole kind of mood of the class shifts. And now that it's, um, you know, well into the school year, I have so much participation in my class. Sometimes I don't even know, you know, who to call on because they've all gained that confidence now, um, which is just so nice to me. So all of these things are things I do in the building phase to create that feeling of students being seen and heard and like what they say matters. Mm -hmm. That's awesome, Kim. I've never, I've never thought about that before, like ever. Um, and I was pretty confident in class, like in school, but I, I actually, now that you're telling me, like, as you're saying this, I'm like, oh man, I totally remember moments when I was really hoping not to get picked because I didn't know the answer or I yeah. didn't do my homework or something was going on where I just, uh, I wasn't going to be able to participate, you know, and that was stressful. Like I'm literally just thinking about times in like grade seven, Mrs. Robin, Mrs. Robertson's class, like crazy. And Jan it didn't Robertson. register until now. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I totally remember thinking, please don't ask me. And that is stressful because you're not thinking about school or learning or anything. You're just thinking about, please don't ask me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wow. that's, that's, yeah, awesome. that's, and it's powerful because a couple of things just happened. First of all, we don't ever grow up. A lot of what those hard things we did as kids or those coping mechanisms live in our bodies or transfer into challenges that we're facing later on. So that stress response that you had in Mrs. Robertson's English class could very well be what you do at work. It could be what you do on sports teams. And so it's yeah. interesting, again, with the grit lens, what got you through that and how do you move forward with that? So I feel like sometimes it's neat to look at the parallels where I haven't actually changed since 
I yeah, was that no, nature, and I haven't left, like that experience hasn't left my body. Like you went right there, you were that kid in mm. that room, and I'm sure you had a visceral response. So again, I love that, that we carry so much around with us, but I, what I also loved about what Kim said is that sense of, I keep hearing how safety is making space for risk-taking and doing hard things. So for me, I'm hearing that, again, grit is my lens, that you're actually providing that safety is an incredible foundation in the school setting for kids to take risks and be comfortable with obstacles. And I also love one more random thing is that you've you've both spoken about confidence and I hear trust. I hear that mm. as much as kids are getting confident in the classroom, they're trusting you as the adult, they're trusting the other students that what they bring to the situation, whether it's an answer or a thought or a mm -hmm. concern, I just keep hearing that this so safety, confidence and trust are these pillars of a space where navigating obstacles is like you're you're essentially buoying up or you're you're leveraging the ground underneath people's ability so when there's this big obstacle i'm already halfway up because i'm trusting people around me i have the confidence and i feel safe that whether it takes me 10 times to get over or whether i just end up kind of standing in front of it but again i just hear that confidence has come up but the first word i experience is trust is equally valued and available in the kind of classroom you're describing that you offer. Thank Yeah, I, I really like that you use that word. Um, I hadn't thought of it, but that's so true. Uh, and one of the things that I think I also do that and other teachers could do too, is to add to that trust is consistency. You know, so for example, in this building phase, when we do our words check-in, we do that every day, you know, because if you just do it every once in a while, it, I think it really loses its power. So every single day we do a word check-in. Um, every single day I will say to the students at the beginning of the class and at the end of class, do you have any questions, worries, concerns? Um, and then I also will go around in the last 10 minutes of class to ask them more individually if they had any questions, worries, or concerns. And I do that every single day. So I hope that students know, you know, if I have a question, I can ask because there's designated time in class to ask, um, you know, keeping up with the way that I manage the participation that has to be consistent. I can't tell students at the beginning that I'm not going to call on you randomly and then suddenly call on them randomly. So it's very mm -hmm. important. You're right, Hayes, that the students trust that these are the guidelines of our classroom and this is the way it's going to be. And I'm never going to, you know, deviate away from that so that they do feel that safety and that trust. I got a question for you, Kim. Yeah. Do you, so people that, and this is just teaching in general, but just uh, if people are doodling or not overly focused, how do you deal with that? Do you let it, do you let it roll? Do you talk to them about it? And no, not that we need to go into like, how do you discipline your kids? But like what some kids probably like to doodle and they're still taking in everything, but they're mm -hmm. doodling. And in the old days, oh Lord, you couldn't do that. How, how does that play out these days, right? Because the attention spans are different yeah. and we're acknowledging different things, right? Yeah, well, definitely times have changed uh, because one thing now is everyone has a device and everyone right. has their device in the classroom. So many students have their computers in front of them or their phones mm. in front of them. And it's actually a tool that we utilize in the classroom so often now. Mm -hmm. And especially during COVID, everything was online. You do need to allow students to use their devices and just monitor for how well you think they are listening. There are times definitely where I will ask students to put their phones down 
if I know that they're just texting or posting something on Instagram or making a TikTok video in the classroom. Um, But there's also, I think, the way I set up the classroom is there is time that I leave every class where students are working on an activity independently or in a group, and they would have time during like a, a specific time to kind of, you know, doodle or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or something. But when it's time for the lesson, I am a little bit more strict about, right. about yeah. that. But again, with consistency, students know that we will not go right until the bell. You will have time at the end when I'm coming around right. to, to ask you questions and to check in. So you do have that relaxing time as well. And sometimes I have said to students, you know, do you mind putting your phones away? Because, you know, at the end, we will have time that you can, you know, do something else. And again, when I ask them to put their phones away, it's in a very polite, nice way because we've established that that connection and then thanking them when they do as well. And I think one neat thing that will come up when you talk about the moving forward piece as well, that whole Mm -hmm. idea that there's multiple intelligences. So what Peter's describing is a lot of the ways that some kids are auditory, some kids are musical, some kids love interpersonal activities, some Mm -hmm. love intrapersonal activities. So really tapping into that offering of learning systems that cover all those needs in a day. So the doodler has an opportunity to use his or her intelligence and that Mm -hmm. fine motor sense in the course of the day. So that'll be neat when we get to that. Mm -hmm. Well, we can move forward. So the next stage is the maintenance phase. So that middle part of the school year. And this phase is fairly easy. If you've set everything up in the building phase um, that I outline in the book in terms of those building blocks, then just the importance of maintaining them throughout. As the school year gets busy, um, some people may feel like, oh, I don't have time to do the check-in today, or I don't really have time if uh, they have questions today. But it's so important to make sure that you that you keep that steady. So in that second part of the year, you really do need to maintain what you've built or you'll lose it. And so that's the key there. And another thing I do in the maintenance phase in terms of um, community and safety and assignments is as much as I can as the school year gets busier, I try to make uh, due dates for assignments, work time for assignments, a class decision. And at first, you know, this went maybe a little bit against what I was taught in teacher's college where the teacher is making the decisions and then students do what they're told. But it's much better I've learned to collaborate with students. So, for example, if if I assign something, I'll say, let's talk about a due date. What do people think? And I will definitely at first give my view and often a rationale why. So, you know, I'm giving you a week to do this. This is why I think a week is enough time. But then I'll also allow students the freedom to say, oh, you know, actually on that day we have a science test. And I'll say, how many other people have a science test that day? Often many of them will. Great. Thank you for letting me know. We'll change the due date. Or if I'm having a test, um, you know, I, I was thinking we could have this day for the test. What do people think? Give me some feedback. And so creating that as well, I found there's a lot less, argument about, oh, I didn't want it to be due that day because it was a collaborative decision. Mm -hmm. And it does make the teacher maybe feel a little bit vulnerable because sometimes I have to switch things around from my plans. But the point of teaching is, is to make students successful and feel safe in my classroom and that they're seen and heard. And so when we collaborate, the due dates or the test dates just work more for everybody, I find. 
And then students feel like they've had a say as well. So I, that's something that I do in the maintenance phase as things get, get busier as well. Um, and then what Hayes, you said about multiple intelligences and, and the devices and things in the maintenance phase, you know, when we're doing assignments as well, trying to incorporate all of those intelligences so that students can be successful in their own ways. And you can't do it for every single assignment. Sometimes an assignment has to be a writing piece. But the way that a student can attempt that writing piece can still focus on their their skills in terms of their multiple intelligences. So trying to do that as well um, in that second part of the year. Amazing. I'd love to capture something that I'm hearing again, because what I feel is super powerful in your description is that you set up space so that your students feel safe taking risks. And then you're modeling taking risk at this point, because again, some teachers are incredibly uncomfortable with opening up that discussion with their students because I'm in charge, it's my role, mm-hmm. I'm responsible, where you are essentially putting your rationale and your ask out for discussion, up for discussion. So you're saying to the students, I'm willing to change what mm-hmm. I've offered based on feedback from you. And that for some teachers might be terrifying. It might be scary for you too, but the students have made you feel safe that it's a conversation, but just building in that whole piece where you've talked initially about building a safe space, literally, like you said in the title of your book, and then you're also operating in that safe space and taking risks in that safe space, which is an incredible opportunity for your students to see like, man, teachers do hard things. <laughs> it also makes me feel feel really nice that they feel comfortable to give me feedback, you know, and that kind of shows that you've, you have built what you intended to build in that building mm-hmm. phase. If when you're in the middle of the school year, a student is not afraid to say, actually, can we change that date? Or can we move this to this time? I love that they feel comfortable mm-hmm. enough to do that. There's an interesting piece there as well for, you know, that I, I, um, that can be applied well to a lot of things, but I'll apply it directly to parenting right now too. And it's, you know, and you addressed it with like, why am I a teacher or why am I a dad? Is it to be a dictator or is it to empower? Right. And if we don't ask that question often enough, we can lose the focus completely. And all of a sudden you just become I just think of how it was when I was in school, like some of the teachers literally behaved like dictators. Mm-hmm. And I, I doubt that was the intent when they signed up. Right. But that's where you can get quickly get to. Right. Um, and the same with uh, parenting. Right. Mm-hmm. So like by just never giving options and always kind of coming at it from some kind of like you're dictating the terms of everything. That's what you've become. You're not empowering anymore. And that's some of the reasons we do these things. Like if I take being a dad as an example, like I didn't become a dad so I could tell my kid what to do. I became a dad so that my kid could run off and change the world, right? Like, But if you don't pay attention to that <laughs> quickly, you could start to resemble a dictator instead of an empower, right? And just like with a with teaching, like you're talking about. Oh, that was that was great. That was really yeah. really interesting. Yeah, I love that you say that, Peter, because you're right. Some teachers really do just. This is what I want you to do. You have to do it. That's it. Um, but I don't feel like that's the experience that I want to have my students mm-hmm. have, and that many teachers don't as well. But but you're right that it does require a little bit of maybe 
you know, as a teacher, you step back a little bit from that, that role mm-hmm. of always being in control and instead see yourself as guiding the students in, yeah. you know, their own learning. And I'm going to take this opportunity to say another step would be teachers looking to make that shift would be to buy your book, hey! creating a safe space, creating a safe space <laughs> in the classroom, a guide for educators, because everything we're hearing today is written down and is a function of your experience. So again, plugging what you've just described. And Peter's point is that if it's available, people can act on it. And we're going to do a quick podcast here, but there's so much that you've captured in your book that will empower, enlighten, engage. So I just wanted to put that out there as oh, another man. strategy for developing that skill. That Thank was, I'm, ho- I'm holding up a baseball a- right now because that was a home <laughs> run of a segue. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Thank you. And then yeah, if um, we can move on then to the end of the school year. So what I really try to do is I don't want students to have a certain experience in my classroom and then move on to someone else's classroom or post-secondary or another educational experience and then not be able to take that forward. So what I try to do in the last part of the year is to teach them and show them that this what we've done in in my classroom, they can personally bring to their next learning experience. And so we go through things um, that we actually did on this podcast before and talking Mm -hmm. about assertiveness. So how can they bring what they learned about their participation, their self-confidence, giving the teacher feedback in in a very respectful way and an assertive way to their next experience. So we go through how to be assertive. I also really try to, um, tell them how to say no if they need to say no because that can be um, part of assertiveness as, as well. I also want them to bring their confidence into their next learning experience. So hopefully by the end of the year students feel like you know they do have something of value to add in the classroom and that I've supported them in a way that when they move on to their next educational experience maybe they're not as shy in terms of participating because they have been supported and um, you know encouraged to do so that they leave my classroom with a positive experience so that when they go into their next classroom they have that hope of being a positive experience as well. So many students tell me coming into my classroom, maybe they'll say, you know, oh, I'm not good at English or I'm not good at this subject. And I always kind of challenge them and say, well, did somebody tell you that you weren't or is that actually something that you think? And most of the time, it's a teacher from their past who told them, you're just not good at this subject. And because that teacher is, you know, in terms of a power hierarchy above a student, Mm. students will often believe everything a teacher says. And sometimes I've even gone as far to say, you know, your teachers are not always right. And hopefully then in my classroom, I can work with them to show them that maybe they are good at this subject, you know, and they probably are. And maybe we just need to work on some things. So when they leave my classroom, they don't have that sense anymore of, oh, I'm not good at English. They would have a sense of, you know what, I'm okay. Like I can do this and then bring that confidence forward. So I want them to leave the year having a good experience. And also what I, what I would love is um, when I have had students who have graduated come back to the school or reach out to me, none of them ever say to me, oh, I really liked when we wrote that essay. Or I really remember the way you taught us to integrate quotations into our writing. But students will say, 
I really had fun in your class mm-hmm. or I really felt safe in your class or I still remember our class. It was special. Mm-hmm. That's what I want them to take away. Not that the curriculum is not important. And in the book, mm-hmm. I do um, go through a lot more in terms of curriculum. Um, but I don't know about you both. I don't exactly remember the assignments I did in high school at all. What I remember, though, is the community of certain classes, the way that teachers made me feel. That's what we remember. So that's what I want my students to, to leave the year with. Yeah, and I love that element of essentially we as people are a collection of stories. And a lot of the time, the stories we recall from our childhood, from our youth, from our schooling is about the experience, the conversations. It isn't the story of how I wrote this essay or the story of how I memorized these algorithms. It's the story of that teacher who spent extra time making sure that the learning landed. It's that teacher who loved calligraphy and did everything in the school in calligraphy because there were these really interesting posters. It's Mr. Ian Robertson, by the way. Um, But just that whole, those stories, those people, we love the Robertsons. (laughs) Um, So I definitely appreciate that, that recognition that we as people are storytellers. And two things I also want to pull. One is that whole idea, again, I love the no grow show model. And what I hear you saying for your students is that you want them to know their worth, mm-hmm. worth or value may be the word, but know your worth, grow your worth, and then show your worth as you move forward. That's what I hear you making possible for your students so they can ask questions going forward. They can remember who they are and what they can accomplish, and they can show that to others. What people see is beyond their control, but their outcome and intention can be to know, grow, and show their worth. This one is, it's its certainly related to the book, but not directly about kind of the uh, curriculum or the way in which um, you're interacting with your um, your students, Kim. How this was is more just for you, and this could be a whole podcast unto itself, but I'll just start broadly and then we can dissect it in another podcast perhaps. But how difficult was it to write this book? I can rephrase that. How easy was it to write this book? (laughs) I think that it was easier than I thought, definitely. Mm -hmm. Um, Because these are things that I do in my classroom that I've done for years. And so it was just kind of doing some reflecting on why I do these things and then kind of putting it out there in a way that would be, I felt accessible to other educators. And one thing I say in the book is you don't have to do everything all at once that's in here, you know, start where you are, just like I tell my students, let's start where you're, where you're ready. If even a teacher, you know, just decides I'm going to do the word check-in and that's all I'm going to do until I get more comfortable, then that's a great place to start. And you can pick and choose what you're comfortable with. Um, you don't have to do everything, see how it goes. I didn't start doing all of these things on day one mm-hmm. of my classroom. This took years of kind of integrating and seeing what works and what doesn't work. Um, so it wasn't as hard as I thought to write this, the book. So along the lines of your question around where did you hear that when students tell you they're not good at things or they're not good at subjects? A lot of what I do in my consulting is ask people, whose voice is that? So a lot of the time people will say, well, I'm always going to be financially unstable. I'm always going to be too fat to do this. I'm always going to be ill-equipped to make decisions. And I always start by, or I look terrible in this outfit. Like, whose voice is that? And a lot of the time, it's not the person's voice. It's the voice of that influential but unkind person who had their own stuff going on and had imposed that system. So I love that, again, you're speaking to what you're offering your students. And that same question applies 
every day as we leave the school system and take part in the school of life. Whose voice is that? Because <laughs> most of the time it's not yours. So I appreciate hearing you say that that's an important element of your conversation. Yeah, that's a great point, Hayes. Um, and I teach high school, so by the time I see them, they've already gone through, you know, kindergarten mm-hmm. to grade eight, and they've a lot already of voices, a lot of voices, right? So yeah. I feel like in high school, it's time to kind of break that because then mm-hmm. they're going to move on, like you said, into the workplace or post secondary, and so um, they do have a lot of voices, like you said, Peter, that have already yeah. said things to them. And one thing I address in the book that I didn't get to talk about too much here is, you know, students of color as well have, um, you know, a different experience, and so making sure that you have diverse lessons, diverse resources, um, so that students that maybe didn't feel seen and heard, and like what they say has mattered so far, you can change in your classroom. And so to make sure that everybody is seen and heard. Awesome. And again, what I'm just leaving with is that whole piece of that, the notion of creating a safe space in the classroom isn't just a classroom school type setting, that life is a classroom, relationships Mm -hmm. are a classroom. So I definitely want listeners to really take that in as much as we're focusing on the experience of an incredible high school teacher so much of what we've discussed here gets to the nitty-gritty per se of living in a potentially non-stop classroom there's always information coming there are always perspectives we are always given the chance to learn whether we intend to or not but to your point that having a safe space is fundamental to that learning opportunity so I just love how this is really highlighted that piece that we all need and benefit from and can create safe spaces for learners like ourselves. Uh, Kim, just to um, let our listeners know, so where where can they get this book? Can we, we'll just do, you know, let's let's get to, to, to the basics here before we kind of sign off so that people okay. can get a hold of this because this, uh, this is fantastic stuff. Like Hayes says, it doesn't have to just relate to the classroom. I can relate mm-hmm. it as a dad or a friend or a relationship partner, right? So how can I get it? So the book is available through Amazon um, mm-hmm. and you can order it and it's uh, by myself, Kim Alexander. It's called Creating a Safe Space in the Classroom, a Guide for Educators. Um, but like you said, Peter, there are things that in here that not only educators could use. So um, other people, parents could do that as well. And um, it has lesson plans in it for teachers. There's a lot more than what we were able to talk about, um, but it's available through Amazon. I love it. Kim, it was, uh, it was really, really nice to speak with you. Congratulations on this book. It sounds great. Um, yeah, it's great to have you on board. There's always so much to talk about and, uh, and, uh, and, and banter away. It was super interesting. Thank you so much, Peter. It's nice to see you too. Thank you so much for coming and enlightening us. And thank you for listening. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks everyone. We'll see you again soon. Grow My Grit with your hosts, Hayes Shetmeyer and Peter Willis is a production of Gritty Guru Company. Technical production by Niall Fines. Music by Peter Willis. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast, Google, and Spotify. For more information about Hayes' book, Know, Grow, and Show Your Grit, Self-Discovery Made Simple, please visit growmygrit.com. 